Wildflowers and Wine there with Marcus King Band. Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Phil Bell. You've been listening to Tunage, CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. We're going to provide you now with the next essential service, which is the town meeting. So you're all going to have some fun. Make sure you grab a glass of wine or whatever. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. All right. Thank you for the, the great tunes there. We caught the last little bit at the end there. I understand you're one of the radio's newest G DJs. Well done. This is Nova Anderson. I'm your elected regional director from Cortez Island, uh, representing you to the Strathcona Regional District. This is my 12th year almost at, at the job. And this is a series of weekly, um, we might go to monthly here, but uh, so far weekly, the last two and a half months or so meetings, bringing you information about what's happening at the regional district and on Cortez, it started as a series related to uh, connecting community in these times of COVID disruption. And the last few um, town halls, if you will, have been related to connecting you with some of the nonprofits on the island, the social profit organizations who are doing excellent work on our collective behalf. A few programs ago, we focused on food security, and then um, took a look at some health services with the health association. And um, anyway, I'm delighted to say that today we have Adam McKenty, who is the new coordinator, he'll give us his formal title, of the Cortez Community Economic Development Association, which has been an organization that I've been really delighted to see birth over the years. It started out originally as the Business and Tourism Association, and um, Inc broadened its mandate into this much more luscious space of a broad community uh, economic development, which is really based in community needs. And um, they wrote the local economic action plan a couple years back and uh, have gone through a big transition and have really put themselves forward in a, in a very compelling way in a process that I invited all nonprofits to participate in with me this year to do a participatory budgeting process for the grant in aid. So the regional district collects property taxes, provides you services, and one of those services is this grant in aid service. There's about 25,000 a year in the pot to distribute to nonprofit work here. And historically, I've received applications, vetted them in my own way, and taken recommendations to the regional district board. Um, and this year, for a few reasons, have really invited the nonprofits themselves to come forward not only submit applications, but also be part of a, an evaluation and ultimately vetting process. So we'll see what the Regional District Board thinks about this in a few weeks. Um, but it has been a very intensive process where a number of nonprofits have uh, dedicated uh, multiple Zoom calls and readings and, um, and the business and, sorry, the Community Economic Development Association put in, I think, six little grant applications, project-based applications uh, on a whole number of topics. So Adam's here to speak about those things with me, but I first, before you put on your CETA hat, Adam, I wanted to really acknowledge over the years your uh, support and um, encouragement and pestering to actually do a participatory budgeting process of some kind with something and engage the community um, more significantly. So I'm just curious to start off to ask you why you think this participatory budgeting at its very core, regardless of the grant in aid or what has happened this year, why is that a valuable exercise 
um, that you've been bugging me about for years? Well, I think that could get pretty philosophical pretty quickly. But the basic thing is um, there have been reasons established over many centuries why democracy seems to be a good idea. And there are limitations on the democracies that we live in that were initially technical. Like, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, without newspapers, democracy wouldn't work. But we're, we're well beyond newspapers at this point. So we have uh -huh. tools to, to do different things. And for the past decade, I've had this fascination with collective decision-making and governance and what the, what the potentials and limitations are for groups of people to make wise decisions together and what are the structures that can allow that to happen. So I think that th there are all sorts of ways that this can be explored and there's, there are ways that it can work and it can not work. Um, but on Cortez, partly because of the context that we exist in with the regional district and the fact that we are an island and the fact that we, you know, we have ways that, that the island um, has figured out to work together, to work with itself. So to me, this is this, is this kind of um, experiment or progress towards uh, knowing how to be, to be collective in making this kind of decision is a step towards a kind of sovereignty and um, ability to tap into the wisdom of the island to act on, be on behalf of the benefit of the whole island. Mm -hmm. So there, there are a lot of uh, smart and wise people here as well that can, that can do a good job of making these decisions as individuals, but there's also a kind of legitimacy when you can democratize the process. So I, I see this as, as like a, a pilot and a step in a direction that I think we can explore in a, I'm hoping to continue my, to continue my promotion of, of these things uh, that we can explore in, a, in, a, yeah. in other and bigger ways. No, thank you so much. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more about uh, the capacity of this community specifically. I mean, I don't know any other community as intimately as this one, but the capacity of those who really care and, and lean into this community to be working collectively in a more intentional way. And I know that's a lot of why CETA exists is to create a bigger sort of collective vision. Um, and similarly, the, the birth of the Cortez Island Community Foundation, similarly to be a vehicle for the, the social profit sector to come together and prioritize things and fundraise collectively. And so there are emerging now on the island these these organizations and opportunities and vehicles to have a little bit of that collective intelligence emerge. And the, the social profit uh, forum back in the fall was really the, the community foundation's first foray out into the community. And there were 50 or so of us that gathered there and looked at collective priorities that emerged amongst 30 some community nonprofits. And so those same nonprofits were invited into this grant and aid exercise. And I think in the end there were 14 organizations that participated and I think nine and then the radio pulled out so perhaps eight in the end um, the, the notes are on my tideline article I don't remember the exact numbers but uh, organizations submitted applications I think there were 20 of them in the end um, and so I would just love to hear a little bit from CETA before we get into the 
the detail specifics of the applications you put forward. Um, what is CETA up to in, in the broadest sense? Who is CETA? And what has the shift been from Chibata to CETA? And what is the space now that CETA is um, positioning itself to occupy in this community? Good question. Um, first, the uh, first thing I would have to say is that that come back in in a month and we'll be done our strategic planning process and I'll be well, I would love to. to to answer that would love um, to from CETA because right now we have it was a pretty clear there was a clear outcome I think of the LEAP process and of the conversations that we were having around moving to something that was more more holistic than business and tourism and that was about community economic development which is a particular lens on economic development that's really aiming to to support community well-being in, in all the ways that that can happen with a with kind of an economic angle and so so straight economic development you know you might if you're just aiming to, to optimize the the dollars you know, you might get into inviting investments in factories or hotels or this sort of thing which is clearly not where, where Cortez is interested, but the community economic development really puts well-being front and center. It's not like we're doing economic development and, and by the way, we want it to be socially and ecologically uh -huh. employed as well. It's like we are, so the, the, the way that I see this is that the question we're asking is what allows a community to thrive? And a piece of that is economic. And I think once we're done our strategic planning process, we'll, I'll be able to say more about how those in CETA see this. But I think that it's clear from how far we've gotten so far and conversations with the other directors and also conversations with people on the island, that the, the potential for community to thrive in this day and age is situated within the context of in a global situation that's unstable and things like climate change and the, the, the various um, warped features of the large economy. And then of course now the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So this, this interest in what is a thriving island and how can we bring it about exists in that context as well. Um, well, and economics touches almost every imaginable aspect at some level of community well-being, whether that's transportation or education or, um, you know, even health and sports and, I mean, anything you could picture, I would imagine, has usually, other than just leave it the hell alone, has some kind of economic component. Um, so I'd be really curious to see how CETA is imagining weaving all those components together into sort of a whole holistic web space. Right, and that's that's a uh, we we've sort of um, we're sort of doing three things at once: launching projects, planning the projects, and coming up with this strategic plan <laughs> that the projects will make sense in. So, so well, we're in an era of no time left to waste, aren't we? Exactly, which is yeah. why we we launched before kind of we launched a lot of things before you know before the. In the ideal scenario, we would have done the planning process in advance. Sure. Um, but one more, one more big picture thing I think is that there's a there's a beautiful way that economic 
this kind of economic development really crosses all the political lines. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's happening on Cortez in an amazing way in general right now, where we have things like the forest co-op, um, where you have like some of the staunchest environmentalists on the island are running the logging company. You know, so, so this is, um, this, I think, and I think at CETA, there's also that, like, we're, we're doing economics, but it's in a bigger context. And that's why we're doing economics. Because if you look at, if you look at systems, if you look at situations with a systemic lens, you see that, as you said, economics enters into all sorts of places. And unless you address that, especially in the context of somewhere like Cortez, where housing prices are going up, and unless you bring the capacity to earn on the island in holistic and, and kind of um, island appropriate ways up as well, things are increasingly out of balance. Yeah. Um, Can you give us just some of the, the highlights that come to mind um, that came forward in the local economic action plan? You made me mention housing and forestry. I know having been involved in that process, those were certainly two. Uh, the need for affordable housing and the need for um, increased support for value-added manufacturing and branding and marketing of, of community forest products. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the other things that emerged as being important for our collective attention? Well, uh, I mean, in a, a big way, one of the top things that emerged was collective attention on the topic. So out of the LEAP report, there was a strong recommendation to have an eco economic development officer, economic development office to, to be looking at this and, and building it. Um, and then of course, housing, and as you mentioned, value added, um, marketing, collective marketing and branding of, of Cortez products, and also um, things like food security and mechanisms for community investment. So the community investment co-op piece is in there as well. Um, and then as I think uh, there's something like 45 different recommendations at, in that section of the report. So it's quite broad. Uh, sorry, you're, you're uh, muted. Sorry, I want, I, as my memory is that one of the top recommendations, if not the first prioritized recommendations was indeed, as you say, to have an economic development office and officer. And I think you've only been at it for a few weeks and you probably don't have that title and you certainly are not full time, but I think you're the closest thing that we've ever had to that. Um, so welcome sort of by de facto into some version of that position. Um, I know back in the official community plan update, like 11 years ago, that was identified as a community priority to have a community economic development officer and actual service function at that time. Uh, now we know it took a decade to get a community hall service and we all love to talk about uh, new tax services, but it is quite common uh, in, in communities in rural regional districts to have an economic development function. Now, I don't know if that's sub somewhere where this committee wants to go now or ever, um, but certainly to have that space with that attention, however that funding is sought, whether it's through property taxation or through other mechanisms, is something that is so common in communities who really hold their community well-being at their heart. So thank you for stepping ever so with one toe into that role, Adam. 
Well, it does seem like it, it's something that needs to be done. I think we're a, we're a long, long ways from conversations with tax services. Sure. Um, but we have some interesting other options like the, the commercial property that could provide some kind of a foundation for the organization in the long term. Yeah, so just for listeners who might not know, and just take a moment to say that you are listening to this weekly update community sort of town hall virtual meeting space. And if you're listening on the radio, it's Cortez Community Radio. And you can phone in after Adam and I have a bit of a chat and Roy might ask some questions. He's here with Cortez Currents. And um, you're welcome to phone in on the radio if you have any questions or thoughts you want to add. Aton is in this, this station for that. And that's 9350200, if I'm not mistaken. 9250 9350200. I'm getting the thumbs up. Um, and if you want to still join us on the community call, on the Zoom call, you can go to CortezIsland.com and my latest posting there under the special sections tab, regional director section, has a link to the Zoom as well as a phone call in number you can phone in there. Um, so for those people who, who don't know who are either listening now, uh, who are joining us here on the call or listening on the radio or will listen afterwards to the podcast that Cortez Currents and um, Tideline so generously put up. Tell us a little bit about the land that you were just speaking of. The, there's a, two acres of land you own in Manson. How did you come to own that? And what do you imagine doing with it now that you do? Uh, you've, you've, one of your six proposals was for a little bit of money to, to start some rehabilitation there. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, um, to, to go back to the origins, it was mostly before my time. Um, it was somehow an outcome of the, the process that led to the purchase of the Rainbow Ridge housing property, and this piece was included in it. Yeah. Um, and that was, was kind of handed to Chibata, now CETA, um, to steward for the purposes of community economic development. And being as its zone commercial and it's right in downtown Manson's Landing, it seems like there's a lot of potential. Um, to do something awesome with that piece of property. Now, yeah, what, you're correct. both properties are owned by the same landowner, which is yeah. why they got bought at the same time, the 50 acres, which is now housing. And then for listeners who don't know, you have, I believe, just over two acres immediately adjacent to Matson's Hall, between the hall and what was the credit union. Yeah. Um, so there's been a, just a little bit of clearing out of um, things that had happened there before. And what do you imagine happening with the land now? Well, ultimately, I think it will be to a large extent up to the community and there'll be a process to, to kind of envision what that could be used for with kind of with an economic um, or commercial aspect. But there's a lot of ways that that could look. And I've seen some amazing examples in other communities of how you could combine like some shared office space and studios and retail and gardens and you know, the, the ideas are, are abundant. Mm -hmm. And we will we will get to that um, in the short term. There has been discussion about potentially being able to expand the Friday market from the outdoor market area across the little divide by the Fokai office there and into that commercial property, which actually has a very quite a sweet cleared area there that's roughly level, and there's sort mm -hmm. of a border of trees between that and Little Point Road. Um, so that's a, we had, we had considered 
aiming to do that quite quickly, but it's a little slowed down because of the need to develop a better access for vendors to get in there. Um, but so in the short term, we are we're planning to um, host some physically distant work bees to kind of finish up the cleanup. There's still some piles of wood and debris there and we want to make some trails and build some signage and then kind of just get the community onto the property a little. And so we yeah. can start you know, getting a sense of what's there and what the potential could be. It's, it's quite a sweet piece of ground. There are, there are some nice treed areas. There are a couple of clearings. It's connected, of course, um, up to the Rainbow Ridge, the housing property, um, and then to the hall. So it's, it's, and then of course to the road. So there could be potential for trails. Um, there are lots of, lots of opportunities for what we could uh -huh. do there. Um, uh -huh. So I think that's the short term. That's the, the short term plan is to, to finish the cleanups and make it, make it possible for people to at least walk on it. And I remember 15 market. years ago being part of um, Friends of Cortez Island at the time did a community planning charrette that I'm sure you've at least heard mention of, if not seen the results of, uh, visioning what could happen on that piece of property. And at the time, I remember exactly as you state coming forward, this kind of ovoid common space in the middle, commercial little shopettes around the outside. Uh, it was really quite sweet. Um, so I think there's been that kind of notion in the community for a very long time about expanding our, our central space into that. Right. So that was one of six uh, projects you put forward. And um, of all of the project proposals, I think you asked for about $11,000 in, in grant and aid funding overall of a pot of 25. So obviously, or not surprisingly, you didn't get everything you asked for. I think what was uh, recommended by the collective process was a recommendation of a little over 4,000. And some of that, um, I think perhaps the one that had m most interest, or certainly one of the projects you put forward that had most caught the most attention of the other nonprofits was the Community Investment Co-op. So how has that come to be a community priority? I know this is something that was spoken about even in the LEAP report, um, but tell me a little bit about where you're at and why that mechanism is such an important one to put early attention into. Well, uh, I think the, the... Let's start off. What is a community investment co-op? I, I, I had no clue a few years ago. What is, what is a co-op? The community investment co-op is, uh, is a container. It's an organization that locals can invest in by buying shares or making loans to that can then loan that money to community businesses and projects. So it would be a separate legal entity to CETA. That's right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and they have these community investment co-ops have been springing up around British Columbia and have and in elsewhere in Canada for for decades. And they're quite a in many cases quite a successful mechanism for taking the huge amount of money that come that that's owned by residents in places like Cortez but is invested in in stocks or mutual funds elsewhere you know that that's going it has to go somewhere if people's retirement savings and and investment money is there's nowhere to invest it here uh -huh. right 
So, so it goes to, to the Toronto Stock Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange and, and corporations mm -hmm. that are operating who knows where or doing who knows what. Mm -hmm. So this is a way for some fraction of that money to come back to the island and be working here. Doing what? What kind of projects? I mean, who knows what ultimately people will invest in, but what are some of the ideas that have come forward? Right. If I've got an extra 10 grand to invest, what, A, why would I trust you? Would I get my money back ever? And what are some of the things that I might end up supporting? Well, good, all good questions. Um, First, the, the securities regulations limit us to, for, for what are called retail investors, so people who aren't in the business of investing, um, <clears throat> $5,000 maximum investment. So uh -huh. That would be the max that you could probably invest. Uh -huh. um, but in terms of the types of organizations, it can be quite a range. And that depends partly on uh, how the co-op is structured and how it is, what its mandate is. Because community economic development or or building the local economy and businesses can be that can mean supporting any business that's um that wants to grow on the island that has a business plan that looks like it's going to be successful so typically co-ops community investment co-ops will have an investment committee which will um which will be composed of people who are familiar with running and starting businesses or investing in businesses that will be able to do the due diligence to, to vet proposals. Or, and sometimes in addition to that, there'll be a partnership with a financial institution, often a community futures, which is a, a kind of quasi, I think, it's a, I think it's a government supported local branch of business investment. So there's a community futures in Campbell River that conceivably we could partner with if we wanted another institution to do due diligence to, to, to vet projects um, and then the there it's not a guarantee but the way that these work so for investors there's not a there's not a guarantee it's not a um, it's not an insured deposit or something like this but because of the the connection between the investors and the co-op and the people in the place that are building these businesses it's from what I've read, the, the default rate is very, very low because you can establish a, like a relationship of trust with the investors, the co-op and the business that makes it easier to both be flexible with capital and to, to um, make the business owners you know, accountable because they're, they're, they're borrowing from a local organization. So everybody wants everybody to succeed in this picture. And part of what the investment co-ops can do in a, in a local region is to not just be you know, selling loans, but also doing the, the work to help those businesses thrive. And that can include mentorship and, and support with networking and partnerships and, and all kinds of stuff that, that CEDA right now is pretty well positioned with contacts that we have both on the island and, and elsewhere. And another one of your project proposals is indeed that, and I, I, I do want to get into that a little more. Um, but back to the um, the investment piece, like how do you how do you vet projects? I mean, if I've only got five grand in, it's not a huge risk. I mean, for me, it, that's a bigger deal than for some, but still, it's not all my retirement savings. So some might say, you know, it's not 
a huge deal if I don't get a great return quickly or whatever it might be. But if this is truly positioning itself different than the foundation, which is about philanthropic giving with already a tax receipt, and I have no intention of ever getting my money back, um, how do you select projects that um, have some potential at least success of giving my initial investment back to me over time? Like what is the mechanism? Who does that? And what is the vetting process? So that you can, and, and how, how can you establish trust when you don't have a track record given that you're so new? Um, is that where you lean on the best practices of others or? I think that, that I mean, we'll, we'll see, this is new, so we'll see how that process works. But I think the, the investor confidence has to do with um, how it is structured, what the intents are, and who is responsible for it. So that's what we're going to be, you know, we're going to be doing the, the, some outreach work to potential investors to say, here's what we're planning. How does this look to you? Mm -hmm. And what would give you confidence that it was something worth investing in? And then on the, and then on the loan end, um, it's a similar process to what any, any venture, venture capital fund or business loan would be doing, which is you look at the people on their track record, you look at their business plan and the, and the market and, and try and make an assessment as to um, is this going to be a successful business? And then you support them as much as possible to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And we have people on our board and we have contacts who have done this professionally. Um, so we have- let's, let's dive into that. But just before we do, I, I wanna say that I know there's a huge generational wealth transfer that I expect will happen here in the you know, next decade or two. And a lot of people who care deeply about this place and, and feel very connected to it, however often they live here, over however long they've lived here. And that's partly why the Community Foundation has established is to really build those relationships and give people an opportunity to leave large bequests and will contributions in ways that they might not otherwise do so while alive or even um, even while alive, have a sort of, if you will, a central clearinghouse place to put their philanthropic gifting, knowing that that organization will do its best to distribute those in the best ways in the community. So I'm imagining that the investment co-op is, is a similar kind of clearinghouse, if you will, for, um, for return, investment return. So I don't need to go in, out and find individual businesses that I want to support. There's a mechanism already to do that. And I, I remember when the community forest co-op got started, um, I had no money to my name, but I went and put $500 in my credit card to buy a share because I was so excited in being part of that at the ground level, never expecting to get my 500 bucks back. And yes, I can technically recall it, but there, I'm just wondering if there may well be a little bit of that goodwill if you set it up really well, um, of, of people just wanting to be part of it because it's really exciting, relatively lo low risk entry point. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I certainly hope so. Um, and I think that there are a bunch of exciting things about it and we're still defining which of the, the models we're going to, or which pieces from which models we're going to build into the co-op for Cortez. Um, but they can include things like particular classes of shares that have different return rates so that there may be the possibility to say do what they did on salt spring and create a, a climate action loan fund 
that would be providing small loans for projects that had climate impact. And maybe, maybe investors would be up for a 0% return on that, that they could invest in it by buying shares and they would have the opportunity to, to redeem their shares and get their money back, but not necessarily with interest. So that, that and this is a possibility. We haven't we haven't uh, defined this yet, and it's and sure. it's certainly um, yeah. There's certainly still a lot of questions, but that it can range anything from something like that to something more like a conventional business investment, where you would have a certain um, e either it would be done also with shares or actually with a loan to the co-op, which is another thing that that they've been doing on on Salt Spring with with back-to-back -back loans between investors and businesses. So there's, it's, it's a model that exists, exists in a lot of places um, and there are also some flexibility to it. So we're hoping we can come up with a, a version that's really um, innovative for Cortez and allows us to, to make use of the resources that we have here. I've spoken a little bit on Gabriola with some people who've put, who have created the community investment co-op there. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know a whole lot. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the other projects or communities that have had this going for a little bit and are, are there any stories where it just has failed miserably or or projects that don't work like how do you i imagine there's a breadth of projects from some that have a great return to others that don't how do you not cherry pick from them or just tell us a little bit what you've been learning across the province or beyond right so um our the examples that i've been looking at more most closely are salt spring Mm -hmm. And there the co-op is actually run by, it's, it's an outgrowth of Transition Salt Spring. So it's the Transition Salt Spring Enterprise Cooperative. So it, it was particularly founded around um, supporting climate mitigation projects, the entire co-op. And then they have this, this fund that's for smaller loans. Um, and they have actually on, in, in all of the cases that I've spoken to, the challenge is more around finding things to invest in than finding investment money. Because once this is established, at least from the people that I've spoken to, there's enthusiasm within the community to, to fund it. Um, but then you have to go through the process of, of kind of leading the, the projects through to the point of being investment ready where, where they have their business plans in place. And there's a lot of dropout in that, in that process from what we've heard from folks on Spring. Um, in the Kootenays, a lot of this, a lot of the community investment co-op development in BC is being is being kind of fostered by uh, an organization in the Kootenays called Kootenay Employment Services, and they did an incredible job of putting together like a 300-page instruction manual on building community investment co-ops. Mm -hmm complete with like boilerplate legal documents and promotional packages and all these things that you can just sort of cherry pick and, and adopt. So there are, there are at least three investment co-ops in the Kootenays, including Creston and the West Kootenay Boundary. And I think there's one, um, one other one in the Kootenays and then a couple on the Lower Mainland and some, uh, there's a Vancouver Island investment co-op, which I think hasn't really gotten off the ground yet from what I can understand. Uh, and then Gabriola. So we've mostly, the people that I've, I've had conversations with are Salt Spring and the, um, the fellow who's been doing all of this work in the Kootenays to, to build the guide and also to support various co-ops. 
So I'm curious then to, to bring it home a little bit to know, of course, the co-op doesn't exist yet and you don't have project proposals in front of you, but um, there must be some ideas of good businesses that we have known as a community that we've needed for a long time, but for whatever reason, haven't got up and going. Um, and you and I have spoken about whether CETA would ever consider you know, incubating some of those businesses or just loaning them through the investment co-op idea or you know, being a, a mediator to help other investors support them. But what are some of those ideas um, that help inspire the community investment co-op to be created? And what is the bridge between here and there? Um, so I'd love to get a little bit more into the proposal that you put forward around um, the Resilient Enterprise Training Series. Um, tell me some of the yeah, some of the notions that you think are worth funding in principle and how you would take them from this you know, perpetual ideation stage into reality. Hmm. Well, I think that this co-op is, is intended to be a mechanism for doing that, going from the perpetual ideation stage into the reality. Um, and I think that this is not a thing that I can speak from CETA about because you know, sure. we're, we're not yet in the business of, of starting or running businesses. Sure. Um, and sure. I don't know if we, if we ever will be or by what means or mechanism that could happen. But certainly something that we've talked about is the potential for a commercial greenhouse um, mm -hmm. and the, or, or more than one. The business plan is really simple for that because we already know exactly what produce is being purchased and consumed on the island through the co-op and how much of that comes off comes from off the island even during the summer and then certainly in the shoulder season and the winter months so there's a pretty simple business plan to to build a greenhouse allow growers to grow in it and sell to the co-op there are lots of different ways that that could look but that's a, that i think yeah. is an obvious one um potentially another kind of uh sort of umbrella business or 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 nursery tree or however you describe a business that, that really becomes an ecosystem for other entrepreneurs um, would be something like a shared shop or makerspace. That's been a discussion on the island for, for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of ways to imagine how the business plan for that could look. Um, and I'm sure that, that if the business plan was in place, it's the, it's the type of thing that a community investment co-op would be eager to fund because of the clear community benefit and the, multiple, like the multiplying effect of right. the economic benefit of it, because you're also providing a context for other enterprises to, to be born and, and flourish. Um, and then, so those are sort of the like community scale enterprises. Well, I would submit that the value added marketing branding piece is another one of those umbrellas. Uh, I believe CETA co-hosted with the Community Forest Co-op something at Linnea in the fall about Woodworks. Um, yeah. Has there been any follow-up to that? Making it on Cortez was the uh -huh. name of the. Or sorry, so that that was in January, but there have been previous events right. in the past. Um, and that I think that's a. There has been follow-up, and I think the the forest co-op is continuing, and and I believe in the near future we'll also be kind of following up on the January event and and seeing about convening some more conversations. I think the, the marketing or branding piece is certainly something that we are interested in and intending to support. The, the overlap with the community investment co-op um, would depend on a business model. 
So creating a Cortez brand isn't, isn't a business model in itself, although it's a good idea. So that might be funded by some other mechanism than, than a, a community investment co-op um, investment. But if there was a business, even, a, even a, a cooperative or community business to actually create a marketing platform or an online sales platform for artisan products on the island, that could have a pretty strong business model that, right. that could easily become a, a community investment co-op. So let's just take that example. I mean, that's something that I've held dear to my heart forever and battered around with so many groups of friends and, um, and co-collaborators over the years and would love to see get going. I mean, there's having a community forest is lovely and yet being able to actually do something significant with the wood is just takes it to a whole other level. So if I've got five grand and I want to invest it in some kind of value added branding, marketing, something, getting the value added really going, do I give my money to the co-op, the community investment co-op? And can I tag it with, I want it to go this kind of investment or, or do you pair me with, investing in the business directly how do how does that work well my hope is that by the end of this week i'll be able to answer that question okay because <laughs> okay, we'll because we're we're meeting with our community investment co-op working group to to hash out um some of the structural questions sure. about this so sure. on salt spring they do these back-to-back -back loans so they would actually they would find the person or the person who was going, going to build this business would find them. And then they would say, okay, who, who within our, our membership would want to loan money to this? And then they just match them up and, and, the, and the loans go through the co-op. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is that you would buy particular shares that were for some, some purpose uh, fund, purpose-driven fund, or you would just invest in the co-op in general and you would tell the investment committee, please support, um, value-added projects right. but in the in the bigger so just to be to be not to narrow it too much these are kind of the community scale enterprises which i'm i'm certainly hoping that that the co-op will be able to support but kind of below that there's a whole range of of just individual people who are making things or or doing some sort of service who want to scale up their business and that's that's, that I think is likely to be the bulk of what the co-op is, is looking to invest in. And that's who we'll be hoping to support with the Re Resilient Enterprise Training Series and other training and, and incubation programs that we're launching. Um, and I believe the grant aid process did uh, recommend allocation of some funds to support that as well. So what, um, how, would you, how would you begin? Tell us a little bit about this training program. Well, we are beginning on Saturday, actually, okay. with our first workshop, which is about uh, bookkeeping. So we're starting with some pretty basic business skills training. Um, this came out of the Making It on Cortez event where Jenny Hartwick did a session and it was, it was popular and, and there was demand for more. So we've organized this online, <clears throat> online bookkeeping uh, workshop, which is happening on Saturday. And the, the, we're, taking registrations for it. This is in, um, in person? Sorry? This is in person or online? No, it's online. It's online, uh -huh. actually, okay. of, of course. And we can't really do anything in person at the moment. Well, it's beginning. It's Sometimes beginning, yes. Beginning. We, in a field, we could do it, but that might be more difficult for, for bookkeeping with uh, you know, yeah. computers. And stuff. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, 
So, so if people are interested in actually taking that workshop, how do they find out about it? So it's on Tideline. Um, I can, uh, majority of people are not on this call, but if they're listening, they're listening by the radio. So I won't bother putting a link in the, into the call here. Um, but if you go to courtesisland.com, uh, it's in the calendar and it's also in there as an article. Um, and you can go to the Eventbrite uh, page and, and buy a ticket. It's anywhere from $5 to 35. So we're doing sliding scale, which I make it accessible okay. for everyone. Um, or, or you can go to cced.ca slash bookkeeping, and that'll take you to the ticket sales rate. So this is really the this is like the narrow end of the wedge for the for the resilient enterprise training program, which we we want to deliver these these skills workshops that are obviously in demand and will help people who are running businesses. That's like mm -hmm. a clear a clear concrete thing that we need it that we can provide to the community just to connect those who have skills with those who need them. But then in the bigger picture, we'd like to use this to, kind of, to to foster what some people call the entrepreneurial ecosystem um, which whatever stage folks are at in in starting businesses or social enterprises on the island we want to be able to help them move that forward so so we're offering skills training on right now we have workshops scheduled for this bookkeeping for selling artisan products online and that's happening uh, next week on thursday and then we have a branding workshop scheduled for all those folks on the island who want to up their up their branding game for their small businesses. Yeah, we'll also be doing a, a business planning workshop um, that we're we're still pulling instructors instructors together from various places to make that one happen. And then we'll be doing also some more general events, um, kind of more entertaining, fun things. That also have kind of a, a, a building the 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 culture of of social entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship or hey what could we do what what interesting products and services could we see uh, realize on the island and and especially if we have this mechanism of the co-op that can that can help capitalize projects and we have mentors and we have accessibility to training so we want to be able to take those ideas of, of particularly ideas of amazing uh, community serving or, or solutions providing products and businesses that people all over Cortez and, and many other places have had in the back of their mind for for who knows how long and be able to bring those out and, and, and see if they can if they can turn into real enterprises so we're we're going to be doing a a brainstorming event where we can just shake the bushes for for interesting ideas and help them you know cross-pollinate each other within a live context um, and then we have other things planned and then ideally this will lead to a cohort um, that will be able to go through more of a business incubation program and that might be later in the summer or fall we'll see see how it goes it's all very it's all very new so we're sort of we're doing this experimentally and we're prepared to be agile about tweaking sure. what we're doing depending on the demand and, and how it goes 
Okay, I noticed that Roy Hales with Cortez Currents um, had a couple of questions in the chat that I haven't really got to, and then I think wanted to ask something, Roy, if you would like. Um, before we move on, we've talked about three of your six applications. I think the, the more meaty of them, and, and we've uh, talked in, in another show a bunch about your food security piece. Um, but before we move on from this whole investment component, Roy, please uh, feel free to ask a few questions. Uh, just to, before I forget, I really want to hear more talk about the examples, the ones that where it's worked, where it hasn't, and um, just what's the norm. But I this would is also community investment co-op models. Yes, uh -huh. um, the models and specific projects in it. How um, how many successes and failures, for example, within a co-op model? But I also am wondering, do you have an idea how long this initial phase? before, like right now we're talking about preparations, we're talking about the co-op, we're talking about raising money, we're talking about identifying where the money could go. Do you have any idea how long and how much it would cost in this initial phase? I noticed you asked for $1,300 as a grant and aid, but before we get to the point where um, we start seeing uh, this take root and businesses uh, start producing. When can I invest? <laughs> Super good question. Um, and uh, to the first, to your first question, Roy, unfortunately, it's a lot easier to find the successes than the failures um, <laughs> because they tend to sort of disappear. From what I've heard, the, the investment track record from the organizations that I've seen and spoken to has been pretty solid, like they, they do their due diligence effectively such that they haven't had defaults. Um, that's the case for the two co-ops that I've learned about most directly. And the, the co-ops otherwise don't tend to publish the fact that they had a default. Um, some of the co-ops clearly have, have not been very active, like the co-op might have been started a few years back and there, there doesn't seem to be um, substantial progress on finding things to invest in. The Van Vancouver Island Investment Co-op, I think, got some grant funding to, to sort of start themselves and they have a very flashy website, but the last I saw they had kind of run out of that grant funding and were sort of going back to other grant sources to try and round up more money to, to make it go further. So I think we still need to do a little bit more of our research into where are the failures and what happened. Um, the, it's been pretty clear from the people that I've talked to that the bottleneck tends to be finding businesses to invest in. That's certainly my memory in speaking to the folks on Gabriola was that there was a, an incredible appetite from the investment sector, especially given that you can't invest more than five grand. It's for a lot of people, that's not a, a high risk amount. Um, but it was the, the businesses that were ready to go and take yeah. advantage of that funding that was tricky. Yeah, and I think it's very likely that that will be the case on Cortez as well. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of timeline, um, again, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll, we will have more answers about that this week. Great. But I think it's, it's we're, we're taking a, an interesting approach because a lot of the legwork, a lot of the, the background work that's recommended by the instruction manual from the Kootenays and it has been done in other places, we sort of have done already here with the LEAP report. 
mm -hmm. um, and with some of the other outreach and, and kind of networking things that have been happening. So we're hoping that we can skip some of that, that we can take examples of, of co-ops from other islands, particularly where there's a similar kind of context and, and put together the structure and then be going pretty rapidly. Yeah. One of the things that, that's a, an important sequence is that depending on how it's structured, the the whole co-op the whole investment co-op is kind of a it's kind of a, a niche within the securities regulations because there's an exemption for co-ops because for centuries or for decades at least co-ops have been a way for members to to pool their funds to do an enterprise so the fact that this this co-op exemption exists is why there's a there's the five thousand dollar limit um, but another one of the limitations is depending on how the share structure is set up, there's a, a, a waiting period between when someone becomes a member and when you can actually take an investment from them. But that waiting period is waived for founding members. So this means that the, 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 the pattern with other co-ops is that they try and get a bunch of founding members lined up before they actually incorporate so that that group of founding members ha is free to to invest without the without the delay um, and how long is that so delay for, for non-founding members a it's year a year and the, the community the Kootenai employment services folks are are lobbying the provincial government to change that because in, in nova scotia they've been super successful with these in part because the provincial government was was more um long-sighted and get, gives tax breaks for community investment and has much less stringent restrictions on it. But so I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that we can be heading towards incorporating this within um, a matter of a few months, but that's speculative on my part. It will depend on how it goes. Sure. When you mentioned uh, greenhouses, were you thinking of small greenhouses or large ones? I'm just wondering if it's something that could almost be a cottage industry. Well, it, I think that depends um, who you ask. And Lonnie, who's joined the call, has been doing depth research on greenhouses and the potential for greenhouses on the island. So I, um, I've imagined large greenhouses or a large greenhouse, but there are lots of different ways that can work. Well, I'd love to get into that, um, Roy, but because, and Lonnie, welcome, I'm really delighted you're here and, and I'd love to hear from you in a moment, but because we had you on the show a couple of weeks back, I do want to make sure that we get to the two other projects that you put forward to this grant and aid process, um, the grant writer and the, oh, I've lost job, it now. Job board. And the job board. Offers. Yeah. Would yeah. you tell us, I, I think those are, are much less in-depth projects to, to speak about, but why are they something you've put forward at this time and tell us a bit about them right well i could do the quick one first the grant the grant writer um was just kind of a proposal for for leverage um basically we are we are running very quickly to try and implement a lot of projects and uh the projects are in many cases would be amenable to grant funding from a lot of different sources um, but it takes somebody to ideally somebody who's, who has experience with accessing grants um, and is familiar with the, the landscape to match those projects to grants. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing it. Um, we're doing it ourselves right now, Lonnie to a large degree. And we're, we're going to be 
uh, ramping up our grant applications to to try and bring in the kind of funding that is available for this sort of projects mm -hmm. from the province and other people and we have some very supportive contacts with grant agencies that have seen the leap report and that are excited by what we're doing and are you know, trying to that are joining our our, wor our working group calls and just eager to help us out so it's been um it's exciting good uh, we, no, we're, we, we there's a lot of really cool things happening here if i was living you know i don't know in in some city doing this supportive provincial work i'd be pretty keen to see what's happening here there's there's so many innovative pieces coming out of cortez at this time yeah yeah. Um, so if, if there's anybody who's listening who's just really keen on what they're hearing in general and wants to support your work in, in general, um, you are a, a registered society. They can, you're, you're accepting donations, just uh, people's goodwill at this time, and how would they do that? Yeah, I think the best is just to reach out by email um, or in, in, if anyone's in touch with any of the people on our board, but we also have a contact form on the website or info at ccev.ca um, that will reach us yeah, and we are we're of course very happy to accept donations and also we have a bunch of working groups and we're we're eager to to get people involved in any of these aspects that that they're interested in so uh, we sent out a newsletter yesterday <coughs> excuse me with a with a pitch for for participation so that's so what are what is that pitch where are you wanting people's energy and if you wouldn't mind telling us who's on your board that would be informative yeah uh, so in terms of where the energy could go any of the projects that we've discussed today particularly the the land or the community investment co-op or if someone has tech skills and wants to help with the the job board project um, grant writing you name it we are or, or for for skills that might be useful for the training series, uh, business planning skills, any kind of entrepreneurial support or entrepreneurial experience that could be shared, uh, event production skills, um, all of this, all of this is, is things that we're that we're wel welcoming, and we have we have working groups running on all these topics. Great. Um, that are ready to to collaborate with people. Great. Um, with board representation and then space for others to, to join in to help out. Yeah, that is right. the intention. And right now it's mostly the board, but we're, we're trying not to overwork the board too heavily. Of course. So who is the board at this moment, Adam? So the board is myself and Colin Funk and Brittany Baxter, Lonnie Taylor, Baron Vandervorm and Basil Peters. And um, it has been, it has included Matt Kusana up until very recently, but he's been so busy with his work that he's had to step down. With his business. With his business, <laughs> it's a good thing. And we're still we're still tapping him for the land, uh, for the land. Yeah. Because he's he's got that uh, land. That's um, a really dynamic board. Activities. That's a really dynamic board. So you're you're possibly looking for another few board members, but also just people willing to get involved in individual projects. That's great. Um, oh, wait, so the, the last then the the needs offers job board what we, we've spoken about this a little bit on previous calls, but um, what are you hoping to launch there? 
Right. Well, this is really something that's emerged out of community demand. Um, and it's probably going to be a project that we'll try and build and then find a way to, to spin off into some kind of community ownership, um, likely. But we have heard repeatedly that there is a need for, um, for a job board for Cortez for employment, um, a, a way that it's easy for people both on and off island to post job ads and to find them. And I think it's even more needed right now because the, the whole COVID situation has, it's disrupted the labor, the labor market on Cortez in a big way, um, both with, with people being laid off and, and tourism revenue disappearing and then uh, benefits coming in and sort of changing the, who's up for working in what way and all of the informal word of mouth mechanisms to learn about jobs, you know, are short these days. Yeah. Right. And nobody's bumping into other people at the co-op and saying, hey, yeah. you know, I need somebody to do this. And yeah. So, so there's more of a need for that than ever. And then the other piece that's also been repeatedly, repeatedly come up and, and CETA was sort of requested to do something about it. Um, is a way to more easily share, like a sharing platform for Cortez for skills and things. Um, and of course, there is some, there's some overlap with what Cortezon.com is already doing and we're hoping to find ways to, to make this kind of interoperate with that. Um, sure. But it seems like there is, a, there is a need for it. So we, I, I was, doing some work with Aton and we're, we've selected a, a, a set of tools to, to build this out of. And we're now prototyping on the CETA website and then we'll, we'll be launching it. Probably not Great. Well, it sounds like, um, and we'll, we'll get to Lonnie here in a moment with the, the food security piece, but it sounds like all of these proposals that you put forward to Grant and Aid, you're, you're working on at some level, regardless of whether you get um, the funding now or later, you're, you're seeding them and, and trusting that they will find their own momentum. Um, but I'm delighted to, to see that the other nonprofits who participated in this process saw merit in all of them and supported all of them to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, certainly not to the extent, that, I mean, the, the program was oversubscribed to the budget we had, certainly. But um, yeah, so it's uh, do stick with us. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to come back to you, but I'd like to bring Lonnie into the conversation unless you had some concluding thoughts on the, the jobs board. Well, I had a thought on the grant and aid process, but I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely come back to that at the, okay. at the end. Lonnie, are you still with us? She's there. Um, so yes, Lonnie, hello. welcome. So Lonnie, you're on the board and I gather really taken a, uh, the helm of the food security coordination work on, on the board. And you were on the program, program, I don't know, what do we call these community town hall, something, virtual meetings uh, almost a month ago now with Tamara speaking about what both Sita and Linnea are up to. Um, so assuming that people listening now listen to that one, where, where have you been in the last month? What, what are your updates to share with us on uh, the Sita's food security front? And then we'll you know, come back to Roy's specific question about are we talking about a little greenhouse or a bunch of little greenhouses or one huge one or what's your what's your imaginings there but just highest level have you been able to um, advance any of your dreams that we've heard of a month ago 
Absolutely, we have. Um, as we've done more research on grant work, we've winnowed down and honed in on one specific grant to focus on first because it's the most fruitful uh, and it seems to be extremely uh, applicable to our initiative. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, affirmation as I learn about surrounding projects that are very similar. They're called fruit tree projects in most places and every major city in BC, Vancouver, Richmond, Victoria, they've all done them. And even closer to us, Campbell River has had a very successful pilot project as well. So I've been able to start to access those models and um, that's helping to create the model for an application for a grant. And uh, that's basically prioritized certain aspects of the projects and the initiatives. So the big priority right now, because we received the SRD delivers funding, has been around food mobility research, which is a really important component to all of it. And I've had amazing conversations and interviews with people surrounding that industry, both with nonprofit organizations, as well as um, businesses that are trying to position themselves that the, so that they can deliver food um, based on VHA standards right now and the, the extra COVID regulations and things like that. So that's been really interesting. And I think the effort to collaborate and share knowledge on those efforts has been really beneficial to everyone involved as well. So I feel like the grant and aid um, uh, networking uh, culture that you've, you've tried to uh, instill has totally taken off and really benefited specifically with my efforts. And I'm just seeing a lot of, lot of hands in ready to work together and that's been really helpful because we're finding places for funding um, within each organization it might not be a lot but there's places where there's funding for food and it could be sourced locally and if we can put those two things together we're saving a lot of money and time and effort and emissions so that's looking really good so Lonnie tell us about the SRD delivers program um, for those listeners who don't know and, and what has developed since we last spoke about it a month ago. So SRD Delivers is an, uh, a, a fund that um, was offered for anything related to assisting um, small communities with, with uh, challenges around COVID and adapting to the needs with COVID. So specifically with food mobility, that was one of the main uh, components to what they were looking to fund was anyone that was interested in figuring out ways to get food delivered to those in need, as well as the greater community that are limited by the COVID regulations. And uh, the what I started to do with that is to find out where we're at and look at the Cortez indicators as far as are there people that still need delivery options that aren't getting them through the current offers um, and if so, how can we get those people what they need um, or figure out who those people are even. Uh, so that's why collaborating with the different organizations has been so helpful because the people that are most in need 
are obviously, um, it's important for there to be uh, confidentiality around that. And, you know, there are people that need food delivered that aren't, are being limited. Um, there's a couple of different situations around that and what they need might not be the same. So for families, we found they really want fresh produce, raw fresh produce. That's great because they're making meals for large amounts of people and they're gonna be able to prepare that food uh, just fine. But then there are elderly people or single people that aren't necessarily gonna have something to do with you know, a whole box full of fresh produce. They aren't preparing big meals for themselves for one person and that's just a practicality thing. So getting those people prepared meals is a lot more helpful to them. Uh, frozen meals is a really uh, good option right now, especially with the VHA regulations. So I've been spreading the word on that because some industry people in the industry know the rules right now, and some people are still trying to catch up and figure out how to adapt to this. So there's been a lot of cross communication and, and sharing in that realm, um, and getting creative, especially with delivery methods, packaging is another big thing that we've run into. So, so. so just for clarity, did CETA get a court, uh, SRD delivers grant? Yeah, it's uh, small. It's uh, just for the month and it might be renewed for up to three months. Um, okay. But it's basically enough to do research. It's just a basic grant to do research. Um, and if so you're not actually doing food get to the point, Mm, not yet. Um, there is, uh, yeah, no, not yet, but there is potential that if we can come up with a solution and a plan and a, a probably a cooperative system, uh, that the money that, that we've been granted for the research can then be shifted to actually employing a driver and um, also compensating mileage and things like that. So and so really point, the, the little bit of funds has been going to CETA, it sounds like maybe you, to just do some, some of that networking research between the organizations and businesses on the island to figure out a mechanism to deliver food to vulnerable populations. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. Right. And we've had significant progress. So we're well on our way to figuring out what system is going to work best for Cortez. And um, it will likely employ people that are already in that effort in some capacity, which is what SRD Delivers is kind of trying to encourage is, is employment to come out of this. Yeah. So that's also what we're trying to create. Great. Okay, so that's the Delivers program. Um, I remember a month ago you were talking about connecting people up with community garden spaces and um, Tamara was speaking about um, a sort of, so. Linnea Farm put in two applications around a food hub, turning the, the kitchen at Linnea Farm into a, sort of a more processing space. I know that's something you've had a whole lot of passion about is finding ways of pre preserving and picking and using the, you know, the abundance that there is all at once here, usually in the fall. Um, Linnea also put in an application, both of which were supported for a, a seed, what they call a seed sanctuary, a seed, um, what do you call it? A seed bank, I suppose, a place where not just seed from Linnea, but seed from anywhere on the island or beyond could be um, saved in a really good way. So how is CETA now a month later imagining positioning itself in, in complement to the kind of work that Linnea uh, is doing? 
totally. Well, Tamara and I have been in pretty tight communication. She's really lovely to work with and super inspiring. So that's been awesome. And yeah, her, the, so the, the preservation uh, equipment and, and that proposal, I think is really great because uh, it's, it's a demand that we've seen in LEAP and, and even more recently in these food conversations, food preservation and knowledge sharing, skills sharing around food preservation is super key. And the fact that they already have, you know, the education mandate and the kitchen space and the drive and knowledge to teach this uh, is really helpful because yes, we want to install a community-wide food preservation facility, but that's down the road and it's going to take a lot of time to plan. And in the meantime, I think it's really fantastic that other facilities are getting bolstered so that we can start these efforts now and, and start that uh, knowledge sharing now. So I'm stoked that Tamara and the and Linnea Farm has proposed that and I'm really supportive of it and really look forward to going to some of those uh, classes and coming home with preserves. That's an awesome strategy, I think, to enable everyone to be able to become more food secure. So that's fantastic. The seed bank as well is just a natural step for Linnea because they're already developing their own seed through their seed company. Um, they know what needs to be done to take that next step and create a whole bank. And it looks like a pretty solid plan. And I mean, it's really the basics, seed security, you know, tomorrow's well, absolutely right. Where do you see the plug-in though? So if Linnea's wanting to do okay. this kitchen piece and yeah. seed piece, you'd put forward a, an, app, um, an application for $1,500 as a recommendation to fund just over half of that for a food security coordinator. Um, any further thoughts around what that coordinator would do and how to fundraise to support that coordinator? Absolutely. So the food coordinator position would take on a practical liaison role that would be implementing enterprises within Cortez that are self-sustaining. And what I mean by that, the first one of the example is a fruit tree project. And the fruit tree project would directly work well with a bolstered food preservation facility at Linnea because we're going to end up with a plethora of more food in our system as we start to harvest this unused product that's all over the island, specifically in the form of apples. Um, that's the largest crop that we'll probably end up seeing in my experience with the libations and knowing that that exists. But I do see other crops as well, especially wild foraged crops and things like oysters that we have a plethora of and learning how to preserve those, can those, uh, will be super valuable. So the fruit tree project will work in conjunction with that because the fruit tree project is going to harvest all this food and then we're going to need to do something with it as a community. Mm. Uh, so that, that'll be super productive and helpful to have that infrastructure already in place if the harvesters start working. I was part um, of a fruit tree project up and going in Victoria like 26 years ago. That, like, I was barely an adult at the time. So that, that notion has been around in the long profit sec nonprofit sector for a long time. Right. Yeah. Great. And as far as you asked about the community uh, gardens and allocating space, uh, there has been a lot of um, 
productivity on that end as well. I've basically reached out to the greater community and to all the individual community gardens and confirmed at this point that we have found space for everyone that is actively looking for space to garden. They've been united with a garden plot somewhere. Um, and there's room for more people. If there are more people that are looking for garden space, please contact me and I will help unite you with a garden. So that's happening. Um, a question, and this is a few months out, but that arose in our previous conversations around people, especially in these times of COVID and awareness around the food bank um, drive that happened a month or so ago, who are growing an extra row. I, I'm growing a ridiculous amount of tomatoes more than I can probably use. So when it comes to harvest time, is do you imagine some mechanism where I can bring a bundle of tomatoes or a bundle of something that are beyond perhaps the food box hamper ability to distribute immediately and be processed uh, in a collective way for the benefit of, of those who are in need. I um, would I love say, to. I guess I, I also say out to gardeners, you know, we're kind of in the last window of planting right now, very end of May. So if you've got an unused bed or two and you've got some seeds, what would you be encouraging people to plant with the anticipation of being able to contribute in that way? Okay. So, oh. You ask such large questions, Nova. Um, we have about four or five minutes, so then I'm going to take the last few minutes to wrap up. So, okay. So, um, I, in a, in an ideal world in the future, uh, the food facility, that preservation facility that I, we have envisioned in our mind, that scenario where you have a big crate of tomatoes and nothing to do with them you will have that option to take that to a facility where it's being run by employees and volunteers and they can take that and they can throw it in the freezer if they have to or whatever it is before they can put it into cans or whatever they decide to do with it. Um, probably if, not by September. Probably not by <laughs> September, but I think that might be a better question for uh, Linnea Farm and in, in that yeah. if they're going to be scheduling food preservation group projects, in the fall for harvest that people might be able to plan and have something ready for a group project like that, like a crate full of tomatoes. So I think However, there's potential for I that and I'd be happy to work with them. If I have an abundance of something that stores better, carrots or beets or what have you, that might be, if, if I have a bed that I want to plant in the next few days, that might be a better way of, of doing it, assuming that actually could be distributed at least through the food bank. Is that a fair totally. I would say root, root Vegetables are definitely the way to go right now after speaking with um, different organizations that are providing food right now for those in need. Um, potatoes, uh -huh. carrots, but mostly potatoes. Potatoes in really large quantities are being consumed. And if, if there was actually a way for us to grow, um, oh, I don't know, 600 pounds of potatoes a week, there'd be a place to to provide them for the community here. So uh -huh. yeah, the definitely root potato or root vegetables is the way to go. Now, it, you're right that this is just about the time to plant and I'd like to note something else that I just uh, took the initiative to, to finally do because we've been wanting to do it for a while and that is uh, there will be a plant sale and swap at the next two Friday markets and people that have started a bunch of extra stuff and have a bunch of starts and they want to sell them or trade or donate come on down to the friday market um give me a call That's if you need help getting them picked up this friday and next friday we're we're going to 
offer that and all the proceeds from that if there's if there's donations now people can come and they can sell their own stuff for their own benefit that's encouraged as well but if anyone just wants to get rid of stuff from their garden whatever it is and bring brings pots of stuff by i will sell it and uh or offer it by donation and any donations will go to the women's center they will be the beneficiary of this i initiative. was just going to say i know i've heard from tanya previously that she could distribute my extra tomato plants etc so you're in, in contact with her around that brilliant yeah that we did it last year it was great this year i'm kind of just taking the reins and trying to make it really simple and easy so lonnie i hate to do this but in the last like literally take a couple minutes uh greenhouses what are you thinking about greenhouses i know totally. there's been a question of, of getting some up and going this year there are a handful of entrepreneurs on the island that um, have some really amazing um, passion and drive and ideas around greenhouses. And I would love to help enable them to see those come to fruition. Um, there are two main types of greenhouses that we're talking about um, utilizing on Cortez. One is the hoop house, and it's a much more common uh, use here on Cortez just to extend the season in the early season and the late season for a couple of months. Um, but those are not year-round greenhouses, and they're also usually made of plastic that doesn't last for more than a couple of years. So that's a great option for some growers, and it's a great option to get started now and start seeing some um, results. And it, it's a good thing to do all the time because it's a smaller uh, investment and you're still gonna get good results. But the long-term thing that uh, will take more money and time to invest in is year-round greenhouses, which do not require a lot in, in this climate and can produce year-round produce as well as we could put uh, tropical fruit in there and trees and things that are going to produce at different long-term rates. Um, With heating, no? Okay, so you don't it necessarily need heat in these greenhouses. There depends what you're growing, but for year round on Cortez, the staples that we grow, you don't need heating. If we're uh -huh. talking about tropical greenhouses, yes, there's a heat element and there's some really sustainable options to get there. Okay, well, we'll dive into that further. Is there anywhere, and if, and if you've got stuff in development that's not fair to share on the radio, that's fine, but is there anywhere that you're imagining putting them? Is this what you're wanting to do right next door to Manson's Hall? Yeah, I personally don't think that the greenhouse projects uh, on a large scale are appropriate for that commercial land that we're developing. Um, maybe for a, a greenhouse. Uh, the housing land has allocated a space for green, a greenhouse and has put the word out that that's not something they have funding for. I think yeah. it'd be really important to wait until the housing is actually developed and in, engage the residents of that housing um, to, to decide what's best for that specific greenhouse. Um, so that's something to look forward to. The piece of land that might become available for the community to maybe uh, acquire, as we've spoken about, I'd really, I think that would be a super ideal place because it's flat, it's cleared, it's got southern aspect, and that would be perfect for a commercial greenhouse. Um, I also think that there's. The future will hold. Sorry. Who knows what the future will hold? 
Right. I think that there's also some other uh, community partners that might have land available that they'd be interested in, in partnering with the community to, to grow. So there, there's options. You've got if a whole lot going on there. Thank you, Lonnie, for all your enthusiasm around food security. It's certainly the, I mean, it's something that so many of us care a lot about and move here and have a lot of gardens, but especially in these times of disruption, it is the thing I consistently hear um, on people's minds is food security. So thank you for taking a really broad-minded, big-hearted, island-wide perspective um, on trying to connect some of the dots on that. So we've just got three minutes left. I'd love to come back, Adam, to just some of your reflections on the, the grant and aid process. You, you said you had some comments on that. And then just so just to let people know uh, that I will be taking the recommendations that were cumulatively arrived at by the participating nonprofits to the regional district board. And I'll have an article on that up um, on the community pretty soon. But how was that for you participating in that process and how can you imagine that going forward in future years? Well, I thought it was a, like a fantastic start. Um, and I hope it does continue with the, I'm sure the design of the process will evolve. Um, but I think that in principle, it's, it's a thing to continue with. Um, I think like Lonnie said, like part of it is the funding and, and making a wise allocation of funding, et cetera. But a lot of it is just the, the context to have a bunch of these nonprofits you know, talking to each other about the programs that they're doing, which yeah. I think is the, to me, that's where the real value in this process was, you know, appeared. Um, of course, it's, you know, it's a lot of time on, on Zoom calls and in meetings um, to, to go over all of the proposals to try and come up with a, you know, a well-reasoned, sensible allocation. So I think it was taxing on some of the organizations just time-wise. Um, and yet, you know, a potential partnership arises between CETA and the Women's Center around business entrepreneurial support that you might not have connected the dots on so early before. And, and those little things that have happened between organizations are a real gem. Right, it's totally worth it from my perspective. Um, I think it's, I think it's super valuable to have this process just as a container for for collaborations to emerge from and for kind of the collective intelligence of the nonprofit sector on the island to to exist in, um, because that's been a rare thing in historically, I think. Um, and and from from the CETA perspective, I think. You know, we put a lot of proposals into the ring and they, they, we, all of them were funded to some extent um, enough that, that it's clear that, it, that you know, it's useful for us and it, it'll move the projects forward. Um, I think that it's probably, uh, we, we of course could have been we could have been happy with more funding to our projects, but in a way, I think that this is the correct outcome because we're a, we're a new organization and we need to, you know, we need to prove our community value. So I get the sense of the, the other organizations were very curious and were very engaged with the things that we were bringing forward. And they've sort of given the, given the, the provisional thumbs up with the, the 
money allocation. Sort of a few hundred dollars here and there. and Exactly. And then let's see what they do with this. This is sort of a, the message that I'm taking from it, which I think is, you know, we, those of us on CETA that are, that are like super passionate about this stuff and, and, um, you know, want to see it move at, at an impossibly quick pace, you know, would like to have had it all completed yesterday. But it's good for us to, you know, to take this and to do the projects and, and it'll be really interesting to see what, how it evolves in the future and what this leads to in terms of a, a collective understanding of what has happened in the past and what the, like, what, what will it be like next year if we're doing the same allocation process and we've all had the communication with the nonprofits and we've seen what they requested in the past and and what they're requesting now i just think it's a i think it's a, a super valuable process and um whatever the outcomes are i'm happy that it's happening that's that's kind of my personal perspective from again with that that uh, democracy bias that i carry around with me well i i tend to share that and and i concur it'd be very interesting to see what happens when it hits the regional district i can i can only hope that they will support um, the, the good work that all these nonprofits have put into it, but um, it is a political beast and makes odd political decisions from time to time. Uh, but I've been telling myself, you know, even if it doesn't land at the regional district with complete acceptance, I think the process itself has been a super valuable one. And, and I certainly commit to continue to working with the community foundation to try to, um, and all of the nonprofits indeed with the community foundation to uh, continue to find ways of fundraising for the collective work of the nonprofits in other ways beyond this little pot that comes from tax dollars, uh, from property tax dollars. Um, because I, I really do believe that when people see our collective best thinking and our collective priorities put forward with all the refinements and collaborations that we can come to, that's a far more inspiring thing to um, contribute funding to than knowing where to put uh, your few dollars in any one individual pot. So I, I think this kind of collective process is, is a really interesting one. There's been some talk about opening it up <clears throat> to the whole community to allow individual citizens on Cortez to vote next year. I have no idea how that would work, but interested uh, in that conversation. When I And I just want to preface when I say vote, it's all a recommendation to the board. There is no way of um, usurping the ultimate decision of the regional district board, but this is part of a um, informing the process that I use to recommend to the board. So thank you, Adam, for all your support with that and for joining us today. Uh, so if people want to be in touch with, with CEDA, they can do that at cced.ca. That's right, you got it. Okay. Um, or in touch with any of the board members that you mentioned. There isn't a, an easy phone number, I gather. Email's the best way. I, anyone can phone me. Um, it's 250-516-3721. Uh, okay. Yeah, and, and we do have the workshop on Saturday for bookkeeping and another workshop Thursday. So stay Great. tuned for these events. Great. Thank you, Adam. And uh, for those of you listening on the radio, Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 or afterwards, I just want to put a shout out to the, the chipper, the, the wood debris removal program that's happening on June first which is monday about just shy of a week today so this came out of some funding that was left over from some fire planning initiatives that the regional district had 
And uh, given the fact that we can't burn this year with the um, trying to keep the air clean for COVID, uh, and a lot of people having, you know, used to burning uh, a bit of woody debris and there being very few chippers on the island available for hire, the regional district is coming around on June 1st and I think 2nd as well, but have your stuff out uh, at the end of your driveway. And if they can't come onto your property, if you've got a big pile at the back of your orchard, that doesn't work. Uh, the funding only allows sort of curbside pickup, but anything that you can take to the end of your driveway, they will pick up and chip. If you have more uh, than can fit at the end of your driveway, please contact Sean Koopman and he's got a, a an article up at CortezIsland.com. His phone number is 830-6702. And uh, well, editor is saying, can't leave a message, but maybe you can get redirected to his cell phone. Uh, he, there are some neighborhoods where one person who has a more spacious driveway has invited others to leave their debris there. So there's, there's a bit of collaboration possible there. And then there was also some talk about whether they would try to have some central drop-off spot for people to use in that capacity. Um, so it's by far a, a, a perfect system. It was, it's a free kind of last minute attempt to re meet some community needs here. And I am working to see if there's any possible way of keeping these chips on the island. Um, the grant stipulations are that the chips have to be disposed of in a, you know, solid waste management facility and therefore the assumption was it would have to go to Campbell River which given how the many people want chips for here for gardens seems really unfortunate so I'm trying to figure out if there's some way of having them received at the recycle center and composted there but um, the decision on that is out of my hands. Anyway so take advantage of that and I really would love to hear your feedback about the value of these series going forward. We've been doing them every week for more than two weeks now uh, on a whole series of topics in the last four or so here on the on the grant and aid. I'm thinking that we might move to a monthly uh, offering at this point now that people are just so in their gardens. Everyone here on the call has left early saying gotta go garden and that's where I'm headed to. So um, I'll put a note up here about that in the in the days to come and just great gratitude to Cortez Radio and to Aton for being in the in the radio booth there making this go out to listeners on the radio and to Cortez Currents and Roy for posting it afterwards and to Lonnie and Adam for joining us today. This has been the virtual community meeting. I'm your host Nova Anderson and we will talk to you later. Blessings to all. Thanks Nova. Hi well Adam thanks for just showing up and showing up and showing up. I don't quite know how you I guess you don't garden that's how you have the time. <laughs> I'm supposedly gardening. Oh, good. Oh, good. You still don't want tomato plants. Um, Bring your tomatoes. <laughs> better idea, maybe. All right. Hey, thank you, Aton. Do you need us to stick around for anything? Or Roy? Roy's shaking his head. No, but thank you. It was good. Okay. Blessings. Bye bye. <laughs>